Welcome to Breaking It Down, a podcast from the Multiple Sclerosis Trust. I'm Will, I'm a volunteer with the MS Trust, I have MS myself, and you may already be familiar with my Ask the Expert series, where I repurpose and repackage in audio format the Ask the Expert videos from the MS Trust YouTube channel. This is another such episode, except this time the interviewer is featured on the tape, so there's no need for me to write and record all of the links that replace the questions, which are normally displayed as cars in the videos. This will save me a lot of time and save you, well, a lot of exposure to my questionable, at best, humor. Here we go. Well, not, not redux, as I explained, just ducks, I guess. Quack! In this episode, we will hear from two MS specialist pharmacists. Pharmacists are an important, but arguably often overlooked, part of any MS specialist team. They have expertise in the prescribing and dispensing of MS medications, as well as ongoing monitoring, managing their side effects, advising on interactions, and ensuring newly available drugs are ready to be prescribed. In this interview, Gemma from the MS Trust speaks to Brina and Aoife, two MS specialist pharmacists, to find out about their role within the MS service and to hear about the latest development on drugs in the pipeline. Ready? Roll tape. First of all, can I just ask you both to um, introduce yourselves and say your name and your, your roles within the NHS? Um, so hi everyone, my name is Brina. Um, I'm a MS specialist pharmacist. I work at the National Hospital for um, Neurology and Neurosurgery um, at the Queen Square MS Centre. Hi everyone, my name is Aoife. Um, I am uh, the principal MS pharmacist at uh, Queen Square at the National Hospital. So my first question is, can you talk a little bit about the role of a pharmacist specifically within an MS team? The role of a pharmacist within an MS service will vary according to the needs of the service. Um, sometimes uh, a hospital will have a neuropharmacist who will have uh, commitments to other clinical areas, or sometimes like Queen Square, um, we have, there are dedicated MS pharmacists um, where we are embedded within the MS service. Um, so our role as MS pharmacists um, is quite varied. Uh, we have a patient-facing role, which we would describe as a clinical role, and then we have non-patient-facing role, where we work with our colleagues and work with service improvement, um, quality improvement, service development, um, and education and research. But our typical patient-facing activities and responsibilities would involve screening, checking prescriptions. Um, we run a pharmacist blood monitoring clinic, uh, where we oversee blood monitoring for patients on um, disease-modifying therapy, perhaps more complex people um, on disease-modifying therapy. Uh, we also, with the nurses, uh, run uh, disease-modifying drug education and screening clinics, uh, where we talk through the medication that the patient is about to begin. Also, we have access to uh, specialist medicines information resources. So we're able to provide our service, um, doctors, nurses, and people with MS with uh, um, specialist MS medicines information service as well. So that's quite beneficial for our um, entire service. Then all the non-patient facing role, 
uh, as I said, will involve contributing to service development uh, and quality improvement within the service. At Queen's Square, we also have the opportunity to work with our colleagues across London and nationally, for example, um, contributing to NICE guidelines, um, contributing to education meetings, uh, and we also form networks with other pharmacists so that we can share uh, good practice and also share challenges to try and improve the care um, provided to people with MS. How are you involved in supporting people with MS themselves? So can people with MS talk to you directly about their treatment options, both the disease-modifying drugs and the symptomatic treatments they might be on? Yeah, so um, as pharmacists working in a hospital role, um, we're often in the background providing, you know, a supporting role to the nurses and doctors. So unfortunately, sometimes we don't get to meet all of our um patients face-to-face in a traditional clinic setting however we are in contact with people with MS on a daily basis and available to speak to them if if they need if they need to speak to us and usually our contact is um, related to their disease modifying treatments like you mentioned so um, might be related to their blood monitoring might be you know they might have questions about interactions with their other medications or herbal supplements or if someone is switching their therapy and also we we provide advice on symptomatic medications as well and sometimes that's not just to the patients but to GPs as well if they have any queries Um, and we're always here um, to answer any health related questions as well and they're commonly around vaccines and so if someone's going traveling if if they're if the vaccines that are, are needed are safe for them to take or, you know, queries um, regarding contraception or if medication is safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding. So we do, yeah, we do give advice on minor illness and symptoms as well. And we'll refer to non-MS specialists um, if needed, such as we have, you know, quite close links with um, the teams in gynaecology, infectious diseases and liver disease as well. Mm-hmm. And what work do you have to do behind the scenes when a new drug gets approved for use on the NHS? Okay, when a new drug is approved and or agreed by uh, the NHS, so by NICE or by NHS England, for example, the disease-modifying drugs, um, what we do at uh, the National Hospital is that we must inform our Use of Medicines Committee that we are intending to use it at our trust, Um, And then the drug is added to our formulary to be used in line with national guidance. Um, If the medication is a new disease-modifying drug, usually a new pathway and a clinical guideline will be agreed by our MS service at the governance meetings. Of course, we must ensure that we have resource to support the prescribing, administration, delivery and long-term monitoring thereafter. Um, And we also need to give an indication of how many patients are likely to need the drug and whether it will replace um, existing treatment or um, is a new line of treatment. And we must make sure, obviously, that there is funding available for that treatment. Uh, We work collaboratively across the trust. So the MS service, obviously, including our pathway coordinators, home care staff, MS nurses, consultants, daycare nurses, pharmacy staff, pharmacy technicians, to ensure that there's an agreed arrangement for everything from purchasing, um, dispensing, prescribing, administration, delivery, follow-up. So we 
also communicate and collaborate with our uh, peers um, locally and nationally to share how they're d delivering the same service so that we can agree um, and share good practice, but also discuss how we get around different challenges. Mm -hmm. um, MS the treatment is rapidly evolving at the moment. It's a rapidly evolving landscape. Um, so we are always thinking months and years ahead um, so that we're aware of what's coming next and so that we can try to plan in advance. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a lot of work that you're sort of secretly doing behind the scenes when, when these drugs get approved in order to make sure that they are there um, when people need them. I don't think people really realise that because it's not really something that they, they, they can see. Um, my next question is around um, sort of misconceptions. So when you're talking to people with MS, are there any sort of misconceptions you come across when discussing medication? So I know from talking to people myself on our inquiry line, sometimes people get a bit confused around what we mean by symptomatic treatments versus what we mean by disease-modifying drugs that are actually sort of targeting the MS itself. Are there any sort of misconceptions that you've come across? Yeah, so um, all the information around medications and particularly the MS treatments can be quite overwhelming. And for example, um, one of the misconceptions or sort of the confusing thing is that um, the MS treatments, they have a generic drug name, which is often unpronounceable, even to us, and a brand name, which commonly causes confusion because there's two names. Um, so there's a lot of information to digest and you know understand especially if you're someone who's newly diagnosed and everything is sort of you know quite overwhelming um, and there's also a huge amount of unregulated information that can be found on the internet um, some of the medications that we uh, that are the MS treatments have been used in other areas such as to to treat cancer so for example cladribine um, was is used in leukemia opatumumab and lymphoma so often if you search for information online the information around that medication may not be relevant to to multiple sclerosis um, also as you mentioned like the disease modifying treatments will not normally improve symptoms like the symptomatic treatments for example like spasticity or pain um, nor do they reverse damage or disease progression um, however most of these symptomatic medications used to treat the MS symptoms can be taken alongside the disease modifying treatments but it's always best to check with their consultant or MS pharmacist um, and we also have a lot of people ask about Sativex, which um, whilst, it's, whilst it is available, it's restricted for particular indications um, and its benefit is closely monitored. Um, and we also have to be quite careful because medication can cause harm if taken incorrectly. Um, so many people are apprehensive about taking anything at all. So therefore, it's our place to ensure that, you know, people take the correct medication and that they provide you with the appropriate support and information where needed. Um, and as MS pharmacists, that's why we're embedded in the service to make sure that that happens. And my next question, I think um, if you sort of touched on this before, um, so there's been quite a lot of activity in terms of sort of DMDs coming through um, and becoming a, starting to become available. So um, um, for both relapsing and progressive MS. So could you um, maybe talk through some of these treatments um, that are starting to come through now and how they compare to some of the other drugs and how popular you think they might be? I know that's quite a big question. Uh, medications um, coming through, so in the pipeline. So we have Ofatumumab, which is a subcutaneous medication that can be administered at home after first dose 
Um, and this is um, this will be a convenient home-based high-efficacy medication, especially if people with MS don't want to come into hospital for their treatment, you know, for example, because of the lockdown or it's quite far for them to travel. Natalizumab um, or brand name Tysabri is a high efficacy option now available via the subcutaneous route. So the, the frequency of administration will still be the same. It'll still be every four weeks um, and it will still need to be administered in a medical setting, but it will speed up the time spent in hospital as it won't need to be given as an infusion over one hour. Um, and observation time can be reduced um, if the treatment is tolerated. So it's a, it's an option for those um, you know who might have difficulty with cannulation or or difficult intravenous access. Um, Sipodamod um, or Mazent, which is an oral treatment now, the first one for secondary progressive MS. Um, for those who are still having relapses or MRI activity. Um, it's very similar to fingolimod, um, which is used to treat relapse-remitting MS. So we, ha um, we have to be mindful of the side effects, obviously, so, so things like infection risk, particularly if, if we're, um, you know, if, if we're treating people who are, you know, have more progression of their disease, perhaps a little bit older, um, and may have, you know, other existing um, medical conditions or on other uh, medications as there are uh, many things that it can interact with. In the horizon, there's penicimod, which is undergoing nice consultation. That's um, for relapse and relapse-remitting MS. Um, and there's also deroximal fumarate um, for relapse and remitting MS, which has just been submitted to the EMA for licensing. Um, and the trials have shown that it um, um, has fewer gastrointestinal side effects than dimethyl fumarate, um, which is quite a, you know, um, can sometimes cause stomach upset, constipation, diarrhea when people first start it. So there's lots lots of treatments on the horizon. So we'll see, obviously, in the next few months what, um, what comes out first. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's a really nice summary. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of the drugs sort of mentioned there are for the relapsing side of MS. And I think yeah. we are... Uh, we do get contacted quite a lot by people with progressive MS that sort of want updates on where the research is in terms of drugs coming through, through for them. So are there any new drugs in the pipeline for progressive MS? Um, so then we currently have Ocrevus for primary progressive and Mazen for secondary progressive, which you mentioned there. Um, so do you think there'll be more options available for, for pro progressive MS in the future? Um, so yeah, we're quite optimistic um, that more treatments or repurposing of drugs will be will become available for for progressive disease. Um, so it allows access and benefit for people with primary progressive or more advanced disease. Um, and we're hopeful for positive results from the Chariot MS um, trial. So that's looking at if cladribine can slow down the worsening of. Um, hand and arm function for people with an advanced MS, and that has no upper age limit. Um, and there's there's also the OHAN trial as well, which is looking at ocrelizumab effect on upper limit disability progression. Um, and of course, there's STAT two trial as well. STAT two trial as well, which is um, led by Professor Chataway as the chief investigator at the National Hospital. So that's looking at whether simvastatin can slow down progression in MS by protecting the nerves from damage. So there's a few trials um, which we're just looking at closely to see if 
you know, if these do have positive results, then obviously it will be benefit to those with advanced disease. But yeah, we're, we're trying to remain quite optimistic about, you know, more treatments on the horizon. Um, and yeah, I think there is more research going into, you know, more progressive and advanced disease. So yeah, we'll see what comes up. Yeah, I think it's good that we're starting to see sort of more trials that people yeah. can get involved in now, which is good. Um my next question, so um, how can you support p- people with progressive MS that maybe aren't on a disease-modifying drug, but they are sort of using a range of symptomatic treatments? How can you support those people? So this is an area that we are keen to develop. Um, up until now, people with MS or people with progressive MS have predominantly been community-based mm-hmm. and therefore any interaction with a specialist MS pharmacist would be more reactive, for example, when they're admitted to hospital for an ailment. Um, However, now as more treatment options become available, which require specialist input and monitoring, for example, disease-modifying drugs and symptomatic um, medication, um, we are meeting and learning more about this group of of people. Um, And our potential here is to proactively decrease preventable harm, mainly caused by problematic polypharmacy, so being on too many medications, um, and by performing medication reviews, going through the medication um, and assessing whether or not they're actually working, um, and if they're having some adverse effect that is, you know, causing someone to feel, you know, unwell or or miserable. So we can look at all of their medications and they may be on quite a few Mm. uh, and ensure that they're getting the best from each medication and if necessary switch or stop the medications that aren't working or causing unpleasant side effects. So our priority is to try and make sure that people get the right medication at the right time. I think that's quite nice to hear because I think people with progressive MS sometimes feel like they're sort of left to sort of deal with their MS themselves but if they've got sort of the option to speak to a pharmacist to actually review the medications they're on and see what's working and see what's not working or maybe what's interacting then that can be really really helpful that they have got that little bit of support there um my next question um was around sort of prescription charges for dmds so we often get contacted by people who aren't sure whether they'll have to pay a prescription charge and i I feel like it's a little bit hit and miss. Some people that have it delivered to their home don't have to pay and then some people that go to collect them do. So can you provide any sort of clarity on that? Yeah. <clears throat> so having MS is, um, is not a prescription payment exemption. So although if someone is exempt for other reasons that they, they would not need to pay, so because of their age or other medical conditions. Um, but like you said, it can be quite confusing. So all medications that are delivered by um home delivery, so home care companies such as Healthcare at Home or Lloyd's Pharmacy, they don't need to pay for. Um, If a medication is um, administered during a hospital admission, for example, um, natalizumab infusion, they don't need to pay for that. Um, And if if a medication is um, given to go home with, which is linked to a hospital admission, Um, they also don't need to pay for that as well. So, for example, um, people that come in for alimtuzumab treatment, they have antibiotics or antivirals that they go home with, and they don't need to pay for that. Sorry. Um, However, there is... um, If a medication is dispensed using an outpatient prescription, for example, after a clinic visit, um, or if they um, collect their medication from the 
hospital pharmacy, then they will be charged an NHS prescription fee. Um, so I hope that provides some clarity. But yes, it is quite confusing. Um, but they can always discuss this with the pharmacist if there's a, a you know, a better way or or that we can sort of um, provide the medication for them. Um, but majority of our medications are provided via home delivery. So, um you know, that it's just more convenient for our patients. It gets delivered to their home so they don't have to collect it from our pharmacy. And we're back. I'm in a West London park where I've taken my daily constitutional. You can probably hear birds singing children playing and the distant rumbling drone of the North Circular. So I've just listened to the interview uh, for the first time, really, because I, I cut them blind or actually deaf. So I just kind of focus on putting every speaker on their own track and doing a bit of basic processing and mastering and the levels and so on. But then, you know, and then I take it on the road and usually I make some notes more about the, techni the, te the technique, the production side. But in that instance, uh, that was my, yeah, I just actually listened to the interview and it was dry. I'm not going to lie. I think it's not for everyone that's kind of in-depth, very technical, lots of clinical detail. I, I really like it. I kind of lean towards that type of information. I will seek it out myself. My, my mother's a pharmacist, never, not a clinical one, more sort of research and industry one, but still I grew up, you know, with medical dictionaries and uh, uh, unshakable faith in Western medicine, I suppose. Um, so what, what was there? I feel like I, the stuff about the new DMDs was interesting. I kind of already knew that. What I didn't know about is all the work being done behind the scenes in between approval and delivery of new drugs. And that, that's quite of interesting coming from someone from a much more centralized health system that the, uh, the way the NHS is, is laid out in England means that there's a little bit of a postcode lottery, uh, I suppose is the term. Uh, a term that only exists in English because it's kind of a unique feature of the English social system. Uh, probably, probably not going to go down that road much further, but it's still it's kind of interesting to know that you know people that people considering the virus option and looking at, at supply chain. I mean, I'm recording this in September, late September 2021. And yes, supply chain issues are very much at the forefront of everyone's mind these days. I would have been uh, interesting asking you a couple of questions about that, just to reassure everyone that we're not going to run out of the good stuff, uh, or that if we do, we have some slightly not as good, but at least equally helpful stuff that we could fall back on. Or maybe we could take the good stuff less often, which I think is what a lot of people have been doing during the pandemic. Um, it was good to have Sativex get a bit of a name check. I feel like in the overall the expert, there's often you know mentions of symptoms treatment, and I feel that cannabis-based medical products feels a bit uh, omitted. Uh, and it's nice to know that it, they are coming a little bit more to the front of you know in the awareness of more clinical staff. Although, in my view, much more work is needed. Uh, the cost thing, I mean, it's just certainly very interesting. I feel like. Uh, I can't believe I've been paying for my tech federa at the pop. Whereas if I and initially if you fetch it at the hospital, the hospital pharmacy, rather than just getting it delivered and not paying for it. But you know, usually even also your symptomatic medicine will will uh, <laughs> induce a lot of what was what was described as prescription pain, which I, I love this term, certainly financial burden. And I recommend everyone to grab a prepayment certificate exemption, which is sort of more of a uh, you know all you can eat unlimited. 
only you can medicate subscriptions about it's like 120 pounds it's 10 pounds a month but then you know the moment you fill more than one prescription per month is it makes financial sense also another another theme that was mentioned is um the the sort of neglect that people with the the more progressive forms of the disease are sadly victims of and it's good to know that there is a pipeline of things being approved for secondary progressive and primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Probably not enough, um, but still, that's a good thing. I know, that's, that's all I had to say, I think, about the interview. I'm going to continue enjoy my walk, maybe have a little bit of my own uh, symptomatic treatment, if you know what I mean. And uh, I'll, I'll just cut back to the studio and give you all of the credits and references for that. How are we going to... Do we want the ducks? Should we have the ducks again? Love the ducks. All right, just ask the expert, ducks. <laughs> This is a royalty-free sound effect, by the way, you know, just in case you're worried about the bill. <laughs> bill, ducks, okay. If you would like to dig a little bit deeper into some of the themes of this episode, I obviously recommend the excellent website of the MS Trust, mstrust.org.uk. There's the A to Z of MS link at the top right of the site. You'll find an entry about pharmacists, although it's more about community non-specialist pharmacists. And I did learn some stuff from that too. You can get your medicine reviewed by them as well. Um, but also there are entries for uh, pretty much most of the, you know, the drugs that we've talked about, be they disease-modifying or just simply symptom-alleviating. Um, there's also the decision tool, the MS decision tool. Uh, this is in resources, again, link resources at the top of the site. It's the first big entry there. And in here, it's a, 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 a knowledge base where you can filter by jurisdiction, because of course approvals are different in the various nations of the UK, uh, type of MS, uh, the various degrees of efficacy of medicine you're looking for, and then you can select GMDs and compare them to one another with like helpful tables where, you know, they classify some of the more frequent but not too problematic side effect versus some of the rarers but slightly more troublesome ones it's a it's a very good little way of accessing information and it helps while making decisions uh, if you like your content in audio on the themes we touched upon today there is another ask the expert redux about dmds and there's a fair few type of clinical health professional dmd chat in i think it's the previous episode um, like further up in the feed, you'll find a Meet the Team where I've interviewed Megan Roberts, head of the health professional teams, and a newly specialized MS nurse, um, Laura. If you have found this podcast informative and would like to help others find it, the best way to do that is to fire up your podcast player, or indeed maybe all of the podcast players, including the ones you don't use, and find wherever it may be, like some little stars you give, or a heart you enable, or maybe there's a text field where you can leave a review. You know, it just kind of game the algorithm. It helps put the podcast in front of more people. Or you can simply do it much more organically if you think you know someone who may be even vaguely interested in some of the themes we've touched upon in this episode or others. Why not point them to breaking it down? Recommend it to your friends, recommend it to your enemies, or indeed to anyone in between. This episode of Breaking It Down was produced and presented by Will Burrard, a cool cat who's not above referring to himself in the third person on occasion. 
Many thanks to Brina Barcada and Aoife Shields from the National Hospital for Neurosurgery and Neurology. Many thanks, of course, to Gemma from the MS Trust for running the original interview. And as always, thanks a million to N Chapman Audio for writing and producing the theme song for this podcast. I hope to be speaking inside your hair very, very soon. In the meantime, stay safe and stay sound. Get it? Because sounds like a podcast of sound, right? It works both ways. Mm-hmm.